Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? I just feel as if Everton will have enough to get over. Like I said, more of a gut feeling when it comes to Everton. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. There'll be more twists and turns. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Off the ball. This is News Talk. Welcome back to Sunday's Off the Ball. Our rugby coverage here on OTB is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Ireland team, everyone in the team of us. It is time for us to have a look back at the final day of the Six Nations. A dramatic enough finish as it worked out as well. France landing their first Grand Slam in some 12 years, labouring a little bit in the second half, but did most of the work in the first half in beating England at the Stade de France last night. They are the new champions of the Six Nations some 12 months on after they were denied by Wales on the final day. Wales themselves suffered an embarrassment, beaten by Italy. The Azores' first victory in the Six Nations in seven years. 36 games it had been since they had defeated defeated Scotland but what drama at the end getting a try late on and sealing that conversion with the last kick of the game as the Italians won by 22 points to 21 and from an Irish perspective it's a silver medal it's a triple crown and a first piece of silverware which was lifted as captain by Johnny Sexton it was after that bonus point win against Scotland and this is what the Ireland captain had to say about lifting silverware in front of the home fans at the Aviva um, You know especially being a little bit older than some of the lads, having having my kids there is is extra special, and it's it's a big motivation um, to do it. And yeah, very special um, to to have them there, and and they were so excited. Um, you know, all week they were talking about the trophy, and uh, I, I don't think I've been as nervous for a game for a long time. Um, and uh, but look, we we got there in the end, uh, plenty to to work on, but uh, yeah, very special moment. Why do you think you were so nervous? I think I've played in many big games before. <laughs> yeah. Still not got used to it. Because uh, I think it's because this team means so much to me. Um, genuine. I wanted us to to have something to show for for all our hard work over the last eight weeks. It's an incredible environment, and um, I, it was more for for the the, the squad. Um, yeah, and that was, that was it. I was, I was nervous. I wanted us to play our best. Um, we didn't quite get there, but we played pretty well at times, and, and we showed, like Faz said, which is the most important thing. We showed guts. We showed, you know, we showed everyone in the stadium what it means for us to to play for Ireland, and um, that, that's the that's the most important thing. Ireland captain Johnny Sexton in conversation with our own Ash O'Reilly at the post-match press conference after Ireland's victory. A bonus point secured in the end with two late tries. Pick that Conor Murray try as they won by 26 points to five against Scotland at the Aviva Stadium. To look back on that and the tournament in a more general sense, delighted to say we're joined by rugby writer Keane Tracy and also by former Ireland hooker Shane Byrne. Guys, how are you getting on this afternoon? Very well, and yourself? Yeah, hey, Will, how are you? I'm struggling oh, along. I know that Keane uh, has got Musgrave Park in the background there as well, so he's getting ready for potentially a Grand Slam party a little bit later on. It wasn't to be Keane with a Grand Slam for Ireland. Uh, France went on and got the victory against Ireland in Paris and completed the job last night, impressively enough, against England. But from an Irish perspective, despite some of the patchy parts of some of the performances... Andy Farrell would point out after the game that once they had lost in Paris, they had to kind of park the championship being in their own hands. They still finished by hooker by crook with three bonus point victories after that against Italy, England and Scotland. That's not a bad tournament overall. No, it's not. And, you know, you're right in what you said. They did bounce back well from the defeat in Paris, but they also got a bonus point against Wales. So they actually got all four of their wins were bonus point wins, which is really impressive. They scored more tries than anyone in the tournament. They conceded fewer tries than anyone in the tournament. So, there was plenty of positives to take. I think Johnny Sexton um, 
sort of summed it up well. And to be fair, I think he's been really measured throughout the tournament alongside Andy Farrell. Like, no one was really ever getting ahead of themselves. And to be honest, I don't know. You could you could argue against Wales that they got an 80-minute performance, but you, you see what happened Wales yesterday, and that perhaps said more about Wales than it did against Ireland. But in the following games, I don't know if we saw a full, complete 80-minute uh, performance from Ireland. You think back to Paris, and they left themselves with a lot of work to do, but they did fight back really well. And the games against Italy, you know, it was against 13 men for most of the game, and the game against England was obviously against 14 men from for a lot of it too. So... They'll, they're not going to get ahead of themselves by, by winning a, a triple crown and finishing second. And I think, you know, even if they had won the Six Nations title yesterday, if England had done them a favour, it would have been, like, obviously amazing for Ireland, but it would have been kind of strange as well because I would, didn't think that Ireland, like, really shot the lights out. But it's a great place to be in when you're, like I said, you, you score the most tries, you can see the fewest, and then you still think, like, you have loads of room for improvement. And I think that's... That would certainly be my sense, and I think that's definitely the sense within the squad because I suppose we saw what happened in after 2018 when Ireland won the Grand Slam and everyone, including myself, probably lost a run of ourselves, but it's much more measured now. I think France were by far the, the best team in the Six Nations, utterly deserved their, their Grand Slam, and they lived up to expect, expectations too. But from an Irish perspective, I'd agree with you, Will. Uh, a, a good tournament without being an amazing tournament, I think. Shane, would you agree with that assessment where France looked a cut above the rest? And we'll talk about them in more detail, but maybe we can argue they are now the form team and best team in the world, having beaten New Zealand last autumn and having backed it up with a Grand Slam. Ireland a little bit behind them, but still looking reasonably impressive with more room to improve. And then the other teams had such a mixed tournament, uh, particularly England, Scotland and Wales, that you're probably thinking that the Northern Hemisphere at the moment, that's the established order right now, France on top and Ireland a little bit behind them? Yes, beautifully summed up, I would say, Will. That's exactly, I would agree with you. That's um, uh, Ireland, I think what Johnny Sexton said in your clip there was probably the best way. He said, we played well in parts. And I think that could sum up the Six Nations for Ireland, genuinely, is that when they were good, they were very, very good. And absolutely, they had they were terrorising. The stats were shown, as King was talking about, the, the, the most tries. They really, really put defences under huge pressure when they were building up for those tries the one against uh, England, Conan's try would be a, a brilliant example of that, where they just stretched the defence and they were poking holes all over the place. They have a team now that's able, this this game that arrived, you have to say, in the November internationals that we saw for the first time, every single player, 1-15, to 15, is playing their part in attack. And it's it's beautiful to see when it comes off. But yeah, were there lapses? Yes, there were against France, you know, in part against England. We even saw yesterday that, you know, they, they took the foot off the pedal for a while and Scotland got back into the game. But again, as summing up their whole Six Nations, when they were good yesterday, they were excellent. And that's what it needed. And the stats are showing that. If we can dig into some of the detail, like you give me a forwards perspective, Shane, to start on this. The scrum over the last two games, it, it was a definite issue in England, whether we argue about the officiating or not, but England were able uh, to disrupt yep. that Irish scrum. Yesterday, yep. Dave Kilcoyne wins two early penalties in the game, ends up giving away a couple himself. I think there was one given away by fin- Finlay Bealham as well. So it was three yep. against and two given during the game. What do you think has happened to the scrum? Do we put this down to Andrew Porter's injury or is there more to it than that? Well, firstly, you can't discount uh, Andrew Porter's absence, the, the, the effect that, that that does have. The quality of the man scrummaging is absolutely immense. Any any player who's playing the front row, prop in particular, that knows a guy who can go from tight to loose 
and vice versa is an absolutely superb scrummaging prop because that is a very, very hard thing to do. What, ha- what happened with the Irish scrum is that uh, the Irish scrum is now a target. So teams focus very, very hard on it because the Irish scrum has been good in the last couple of seasons. It's been one of the strong points. There's been no doubt about it. We've arguably the best tight head in the world in, with his over general play in Tyg Furlong. And what happened against England is that England went out and they put a, a plan together that the whole eight were wheeling around, pivoting around Tyg Furlong. It was very, very smart. And the ref didn't see it. Now, the criticism I would have of Ireland was that they should have adjusted. There's a way of combating that. And they didn't. They got caught up in it. They got caught up in the, in the, in the fight of it. Keane Healy was, was trying to have too much of a tussle where he shouldn't have been. Someone's pivoting around, you pull away, you let them go around. But that's because the, the Irish scrum, as I said, has become a target. It's become something that teams have to pay attention to, have to focus on. They can't just go on the scrum is there, we'll be fine, we'll just get on. Because if you don't pay attention to the Irish scrum, they will get on top of you in their phase. Keen, what was your assessment of the Irish scrum yesterday? An improvement on Twickenham? Yeah, well, I suppose it wouldn't be hard, Will, really, like when you consider they conceded six penalties in Twickenham and a free kick as well. Like, it's interesting to hear what Shane says there. You know, you talk about someone like Keane Healy, and I don't know, it'll be interesting to hear what you think about this, Shane. Like, you'd imagine for someone so experienced, he probably should have been able to, like, not get into that scrap that you're talking about. And that was a little disappointing, I think, from my point of view. Like, you're talking about a guy, one of the most experienced props that Ireland have ever had and has never had a problem with his scrummaging. So I was a little bit surprised by that, that he didn't find a way in the moment to counteract it. I think it's also worth remembering that um, Dan Sheehan is a is a rel- like, is relatively new on the scene, and this has been his breakthrough Six, Six Nations. We'd seen him kind of playing at the end of the year last year, but he's a very tall man, and Shane would certainly know a lot more about this than I am in terms of like what it takes to be a hooker in the front row, but he's a very tall man uh, 6'3", I think he is. Like, it's very unusual for a hooker. So I think that would probably take a little bit of time for someone like Tyke Furlong and Keane Healy and whoever is playing props either side of him. Now, we know they're still playing together at Leinster, but that is, that's worth considering as well. I think Ronan Keller, is. If, they're similar players in open play, but Ronan Keller is kind of much sturdier and smaller, whereas Dan Sheehan has more of an athletic, athletic profile. So I think it's worth keeping that in mind as well that Dan Sheehan is still finding his feet at, at this level as well and he was outstanding yesterday I thought but um, I, I agree with Shane I think the scrum is now has become a target and as much as Ireland you know kind of they were putting it out there last week that the messaging back from World Rugby after Twickenham was that you know a couple of the penalties should have went Ireland's way but opposition teams are going to be lining that up now like you think of like South Africa or even like let's look at this summer like going down to New Zealand New Zealand are certainly going to be eyeing up that Ireland scrum and think that they can they can have a crack off it so that is I think one of the concerns like I think we'd, we'd probably get into it like there was plenty of positive positive aspects but there are a few cracks I think um appearing that I think Andy Farrell and his coaching staff will be will be well aware of and like I said going to New Zealand this summer there's like that's the toughest place in the world to, to go to go and play so there's no bet, bet bigger and better test I think Yeah we can talk about some of the positive particularly I'll chat with them all in a second but just bring you back in Shane on that point should Keane Healy have done better with his discipline than as Keane has mentioned Yes um, not so much in his discipline how he dealt with it because remember at least 50% of those calls were wrong by the ref so you can't just point the finger at, at, at him for his discipline the, what you would see, the problem refs have nowadays is that when they see one side getting on top of another side, they automatically give a penalty. 
Whereas if you're looking at the rule book, there's no rule being broken. You, there's no rule about so-called getting pushed back or anything like that. Refs just, they go trigger happy with the whistle. And it's one of the things that's very annoying. Very annoying. So like, you've got to look at it and go, right, what rule has been broken here? Very, very seldom do they get it right. But the fact doesn't change that Keen Healy should have adapted better. When, there's, when the team are pivoting around your tight head, you either have to scrummage out, as in pull back and show that the tight head is trying to pull away from you, or else you've got to get the hooker to step into their tight head as well and to meet him head on so that the two of them are pinchering on him to combat that. Because th- that, to me, is the problem, is that Ireland, yes, look, Dan Sheehan, as we say, is, is an absolutely unbelievable talent. He's a fantastic player. And yeah, that would have been a, a time for him to, to learn the ropes there would have been a lot of um, chance taken by England in that and got, catching Ireland on the hop. But the simple fact is that there's a way of combating it. It didn't happen on the day. And that's something that Ireland won't forget about. They'll remember that. They'll move on from there. Shane, would that be an adjustment you almost naturally make within the game? Say you're playing at hooker, you're a tight head, is getting a bit of extra pressure put over on his side. Do you naturally start to just kind of support over that way a little bit during the game or would you be kind of noticing that in the middle of a scrum in the heat of a battle in the Six Nations game? No, no, you notice. You, you take every scrum, you know exactly what's going on. You know, right the way through it. And when you're going around the pitch, you'll be talking to, with your props and just having a chat and just making sure, listen, are you all right? Do you want me to step across or what way can I help? But even when, when you're noticing during a scrum, there's always something you can do. There's always something you can do to help. Like, as I said, you know, if your loose head is, is, is under strife, you can actually attack the tight head as he's coming in. You can scrummage through your opposition hooker if you want to really assist your tight head just to add extra weight onto that side. It's all about the way you push the hookers. Okay, they, we, we don't get much credit, I suppose, for scrummaging because there's so many other things that need doing and the props do the bulk of the duty. But there's an awful lot a hooker can help with. And uh, as Keane was suggesting there, Dan, like maybe his height is an issue. He had to do these things. You have to get down very, very low. But looking at his scrummaging technique, I think it's very good. His hip level is very, very low, which lets him maneuver within the scrum. So I can't fault him, you know, per se. But, you know, all a learning exercise. You'd be, you'd be damn sure that something like that won't happen again to that front row. Mm. Just, just for Sunday, okay. like, like I could hear on the ref mic yesterday at one point Wayne Barnes was it was just before pre-engage of the scrum was pointing out that Dan Sheehan is an extremely tall man so I think that was something that Scotland were probably wary of too and just one other quick point that, that Shane made the inconsistency about the way scrums are refereed from one week to the next, depending on who the referee is, I think is a bit of an issue in terms of like, if you talk about like the sport is an entertain, like is, is entertainment. So it's great when you have experts like Shane and I heard Mike Ross was on during the week on off the ball and Alex Sierra was on the left wing podcast and really good when you have experts explaining it. But if you have people in the stand and, they don't really know what's going on in the front row and like from one week to the next. I think that's a bit of an issue in terms of trying to attract uh, new supporters to the sport. Yeah, and it ends up with everyone screaming for penalties as well. The minute they see something uh, turning, they assume that uh, the referee is going to have to step in. Some that worked well, Keane, exactly. which you mentioned uh, already about some plus points from uh, yesterday. Uh, the mall was a very, very effective source of ball for Ireland on the attack. And we saw that in the Dan Sheehan try as well. But not just in that try, the mall worked pretty well all game. 
yeah, and that this is one of the, I would say, probably the most pleasing aspect, I think, of the performance. We've seen now that Ireland have a really cohesive, it's a cohesive attacking system. It, it, it's still, I would say, not firing on all cylinders, but you can, you can see them getting into their 1-3-2-2 shape really regularly, and it's great. And there was a few issues again yesterday, a couple of passes going to ground, a couple of silly knock-ons. But what I really liked was Ireland looked at that Scottish pack and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll have them. And I think in times gone by, Ireland were probably guilty of kind of having that mentality without having the sort of the attacking framework to, to mix up their game. Because if this Ireland team are going to reach the heights that they're certainly setting for themselves, they have to be able to play both games. Because when you think back to the, the big defeats that Ireland have had over the last few years, invari- invariably it's come against teams who are bigger and stronger and Ireland have almost ended up getting in a scrap, kind of like what Shane was talking about there, Keane Healy in the scrum, a scrap that they were unlikely to win because by sheer physics, they're just not as big men. So I like the fact that Ireland now kind of have two game plans almost. And yesterday we saw them trying to mix it up and you're really dead right to highlight it, Will. I thought the mall was really, really effective, but that's not to say that the mall would be, you know, really effective if they were playing France next week or something like that. And I think that is the, the sort of task for, for this team team is to find the balance between the two game plans if that makes sense Yeah, um, Shane on that point, Brian Driscoll is your former teammates made the point in the show a few different times that there are still some of the remnants and the good parts of the Joe Schmidt system where Andy Farrell was there and he was part of that game plan where they're still very good on rook speed and very good at getting in at the breakdown mm. but just slowly but surely Mike Cass and Andy Farrell have been able to add these little extra dimensions to the Irish attack over the last 18 months or so yeah, and it, it is great to see. And it was a worry, if you think about it, that the amount of time it was taken. But it, it just seemed to hit, as I said at the start there, the November internationals. They just came out and everybody just seems to have bought into this style of play. And back back with them all, what Keane was saying is that if you want to be as good as, as this team obviously are attaining to be, you have to have all the weapons. You have to have every bit of it. And it's great to see them being very, very comfortable and going to them all. Ironically, Dan Sheehan was almost at fault for the for the remember the ball that collapsed uh, when they were going for the line there in in the game as well. It's that's, I can't remember who was it that got through, but that's what you need to have. You need to have a team that has absolutely everything in its army that doesn't have any weak points. And this team, okay, yes, they, they will never be the biggest physical side on the planet, but they're willing to take on all teams in the game that they want to play and not be shying away from any particular style of rugby, which is brilliant to see. Yeah, we've mentioned Dan Sheehan a couple of times already and the impact mm. that he's had and the opportunity that were afforded to him really by Kelleher's injury. Well, this is what Andy Farrell had to say last night about uh, Dan Sheehan's performances once he became first choice uh, thanks to that injury to Kelleher. Well, he, he, he was amazing. He was amazing, you know, and... Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, we we was gutted that we that we lost Ronan, but um, obviously, there, there becomes an opportunity there, doesn't there? And Dan's stepped up to the plate, and you know, to go to Paris and then go to Twickenham and learn a few lessons there as well, and you know, right a few wrongs there um, this evening, this afternoon, stroke evening. Um, well, to, to, to have so many few caps and have all that experience under your belt and, and perform like he did, uh, you know, the future's bright for him. 
Keen, I remember the discussions that were going on when we knew that Rory Best was going through the final chapters of his career and we were waiting for the World Cup to come around and who was going to emerge and whether Herring was going to be the number two. Could Sean Cronin get back into a position where he could become first choice? I think Dan Sheen was playing AIL around about that time and now here he is as a seasoned international. Yeah, I'm actually writing about this tomorrow. Like, it's it, it's such an interesting story. Like I said, like I'm down here at Musgrave Park now, hopefully about to watch the Ireland under twenties win a Grand Slam. But when Ronan Keller, or sorry, when Dan Sheehan was coming through, he didn't actually make the under twenty squad initially. Um, by the time the World Cup came around, he ended up getting in because, like ironically enough, Ronan Kelleher got injured. He was overlooked for a place in the Leinster Academy because Leinster went for Ronan Kelleher instead, which is fair enough. You have two outstanding hookers. So you're dead right. He went off and he first he played with uh, Trinity in the AIL. Did an unbelievable job under Tony Smith, who's Tony Smith, who's just done fantastic work with so many Leinster players. A really unheralded guy in sort of the, the Irish system. But then he went on to, to Lansdowne and kind of really got a bit of an edge about him. So we see so many guys kind of, you know, coming out of school and playing 20s and their kind of household names are Gary Ringrose, James Rhines, by the time they get to the international stage. It's been a bit of a slow burner for Dan Sheehan. Like, the guy is still only uh, 21, or 23, sorry. But he's, his rise over the last year, I was looking back at it, this, this weekend last year, he was coming off the bench playing his 10th game, ever game for Leinster in a home defeat to the Ospreys. So... In 12 months, he's he's now gone to the Stade de France. He's now gone to Twickenham, and he's played his, he's played a massive part in Ireland winning a triple crown. He's featured in all five games this year, so it's been a remarkable 12 months for him. And like you said, he's he's just such a like we don't usually produce kind of athletes with his kind of profile, and I think that's what's so exciting about it. I think Shane kind of hit the nail on the head. He'll be so much better, I think, for the experience that he had in Twickenham because, like we talked about, Keen Healy. It's about problem solving on the hoof, you know, like it's it, it's not waiting for the, the, the analysis Monday morning review and the coaches to hold your hand and say, well, you should have done this, you should have should have done that. So I think this experience would have been unbelievable for him throughout the Six Nations. And I thought he just capped it off yesterday. He's such an explosive presence. We saw at the earlier on in the season, his footwork that he, he had to, to beat Mac Hansen on the wing. Like the guy is... I think defenders, when they see him running at him, are like bracing themselves to make a big hit, but they're actually kind of underestimating his footwork, but it's also his acceleration through that footwork. So he can run over you, but he can also run around you, and that makes him a nightmare to defend against. And it'd be interesting to hear what Shane thinks, but from my like, you know, non-expertise of watching a hooker's throw, like I just think he's got a fantastic throw. The, just a trajectory on the ball a couple of the ones he hit at the tail yesterday just a really really fluid motion and yeah I think he's going to be a big big player for Ireland in the next few years I think himself and Ronan Kelleher's battle to be the Leinster and Ireland hooker I think is one of the most fascinate, fascinating aspects of Irish rugby I think over the next decade Shane they have a very different profile now compared to maybe what hookers would have been like previously like Ronan Kelleher at times can look more like his brother when he gets the ball in loose positions and he gets to use his feet and again Dan Sheen is an excellent athlete as well uh, they add an awful lot to the team like these guys even from an attacking point of view both are incredibly good in the loose as well yeah what you're saying there what you're describing that style of the game now that they, they have to play that's almost a given but these two are exemplary at it how refreshing is it for I can't remember last time that we now are no longer talking about the throwing who's the best thrower at like that these guys can just do it and it's just taken as a given now the quality of the line out that they're throwing into is fantastic like the Irish line out is executing 
all the lifts, everything, all the movements, everything is very, very crisp. The, the, the support that the lifters are giving the jumpers is absolutely superb and their timing is brilliant. But it's just like a given. And it's the first time for me for a long time that we're able to just concentrate on how the quality of play that these two players come out with. They're just the dynamism, the, the, the aggression in defense, their, their, their fitness, their technique and everything that they do is exactly what you want from a modern hooker. And it, it's fantastic to see. Keen, moving away from the forwards then, uh, towards the backs, again, I thought Jameson Gibson Park did a really good job yesterday. He gets in there, he recycles the ball quickly. Ron Nagar was talking to us a few weeks ago about how crucial it is at La Rochelle they look at rook speed as one of those kind of actual important stats. Jameson Gibson Park keeps this Irish team ticking. And at this stage, it looks like he's the nailed on number one at this point. And we saw what Conor Murray can do from the bench when he came on, but Gibson Park has really emerged now as Ireland's number nine in this tournament, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He has, and he's, he's there and married as well. But like, it's still great to have, I think, Conor Murray. I wouldn't be writing him off yet. He saw the impact that he made in Twickenham, and he, he was pretty good, obviously, off the bench as well yesterday when he got the, the bonus point try. But yeah, you're right. I think one of the most encouraging aspects, I think, of Gibson Park is that I think others are now starting to, to feed off him and like realise how he plays and the tempo he plays at. I think for a while... We see it all the time at Leinster. I think himself and James Lowe have an unbelievable understanding, intuitive almost. Um, he knows when to go because you can see Gibson Park is being told, get out there and speed up everything. Like the amount of quick taps that he takes as well. Like that is hugely, hugely important to the way that this Ireland team are playing. And you're right. Like, and it's the same in like La Rochelle. You have Carbardo, who's an outstanding Kiwi scrum half as well. It's in their nature. Like that's what they want to do. They want to play at high tempo. And it's it's so pleasing to see like the Irish coaches allowing Gibson Park to come in and play like that because for so long, like himself and Conor Murray are very different kinds of scrum halves. But Gibson Park hasn't come in and been asked to be like, okay, can you play like Conor Murray? This is kind of the evolution I think of the of the game plan and Ireland have put such an emphasis on their rucks we ball your right will so like they've I think they still have after after this weekend's games the, the quickest uh, breakdown in ruck speed in the Six Nations where they're aiming for under three three seconds and you can see how important that is but I think they're still trying to find the right balance around the breakdown if you think back to the, the only try that Scotland scored yesterday it came off Ireland being counter rucked um, Italy had it actually uh, had a lot of joy in that area too and England did and France did so it's an area that it's so important but I think they've almost probably said okay we are going to lose a couple of rocks but we saw what happens when they're shoved off their own ball yesterday against the Scottish team because they went down the other end and scored so I think they need to get the balance right between focusing on getting that quick rock speed under three seconds and ensuring that they aren't counter-rocked off the ball because we can see the damage that it's caused yesterday Shane, I would think that Stuart Hogg hates the Viva Stadium at this stage. Like a very uh, turbulent week for Scotland and he was right in the middle of it uh, with that breach of yeah. discipline when they went for points in Edinburgh after the Italy game last Sunday. But again, in the 49th minute, Stuart Hogg should just give an offload oh. and Scotland are in for a try. It reminded me of a couple of years ago being in the Viva when he got white line fever just in front of the try line as well. If Scotland scored that try in the 49th minute, the game takes a very different complexion. Oh, it was. It, it, Scotland did us a lot of favours in that game yesterday. The, the 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 mood in the game ebbed and flowed right the right the way throughout. Like if you think about it, it didn't come. Ireland didn't start to come good until Johnny Sexton kicked that ball. The the fifty twenty two. You know what was it about the fifteenth minute, something like that. Ireland weren't settling at all, 
And there was a time as well when the game had slipped away. It was very much in favour of Scotland. And that was right when Hogg didn't pass that ball. If that had happened, that try would, if he had passed that one ball inside, there were three guys, I think, lining up. That would have been underneath the posts. That would have been seven points. And an absolute sin. Like, it's such a basic, basic thing. For the amazing player that we know he is, he just seems to have these, I don't know, (laughs) brain farts, we call them. You know what I mean? Just that a decision just seems so obvious. And he just doesn't take it. And an absolutely outrageous decision not to pass the ball. It's a difference oftentimes in these tight games as well, Shane. You look at Anton Dupont last night where he makes the right decision to step inside yeah. and backs his own talent and scores a try. In Hogg's case, there's an easy pass, particularly to Johnson, which if he makes that, these are the moments when Scotland have been a little bit under the cosh, they get a try, they get right back within striking distance again, and then Ireland probably start to get a bit nervous because it's all about the victory and trying to you know, keep the Six Nations Championship title race alive. It's a big let-off like for, for a team. I presume Ireland must have got a massive lift from Scotland leaving seven points behind there. Oh, sure, you could, you could feel the atmosphere in the crowd, you know, because it, it, when it was on a, a bit of good Scottish play, so the, so the crowd were kind of down, and then they, they make this break, and it just looked like an absolute dead set. But it has to be said, what a tackle. It was an absolutely immense tackle. Like, that, that guy has been just superb. He, he's, how many caps does he have now? He's still, you know, you're not talking a huge amount of, of Cass Keenan. And, He's just playing like an absolute seasoned international. Like he's been there forever. He's absolutely superb. That doesn't that doesn't take away from the stupidity that Hogg did. But uh, my, what a tackle! Keen, his scramble defence is good, Hugo Keen, and he's adding these little bits to his game as he gets more experience. He's an unbelievable tackler. Like Shane is right to, to point it out as, as as so much of a shocker as it was from Hogg. It was an incredible tackle by Hugo Keenan. And his one-on-one tackling, is, like his technique, if you were, for any coaches out there who are teaching kids, you just watch how Hugo Keenan tackles. Like he gets low, he gets his head on the right side. And it's probably maybe an aspect of his game that we don't talk about. And you know what? He, he has been so, so impressive. And one of the, I suppose, the, the joys of being able to get to go to the games, and I particularly noticed this actually during lockdown when the games were behind closed doors, the amount of talking that that guy does in the backfield, which is something you're never going to notice, obviously, on TV. But he's so calm. He's so measured. He never looks flustered. And I think other players feed off that. And Shane is right. Like, he's playing like a, a veteran. And, you know, you talked earlier about the concerns that people had when Rory Best retired, who was going to replace him. There were similar conversations about Rob Kearney. And Hugo Keenan has come in, and he's probably been asked to, you know, provide the defensive solidity that, in, like, Rob Kearney was incredible, but the best fullback the country has ever produced in terms of his defensive capabilities. But I feel like Hugo Keenan has that. His game reading is it's exceptional, but he's also so quick he's really I think stepping up now into the attacking line as as first and second receiver more often um, and I think we saw that as well for the try that he got at Twickenham uh, last weekend which was another example I think of players understanding Gibson Park because he went off a quick tap there as well so I think you know you have Michael Lowry coming through who was he played really well against Italy as well it was a hard game to judge anyone with because of the circumstances but this is what you want in every single position from Andy Farrell's point of view. I think Hugo Keenan came back into the England team and, OK, I think he's widely you know, re- regarded as Ireland's first choice uh, fullback, but he knew he needed a big performance over the next two weeks because Michael Lowry is breathing heavily down his neck now as well. And that's what you want in every position. 
yeah, Ireland's first Triple Crown since 2018. We're reviewing the last day of the Six Nations and the Championship in a more general sense as well. Our coverage of rugby here on OTB with thanks to Vodafone, uh, the team of us, everyone in. We're going to take a very short break. We'll talk about Ireland's preparations for the next World Cup and France now being the favourites for the tournament on home soil when we come back after these. Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us. Everyone in. Just under an hour's time, we will be going for live commentary from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Spurs against West Ham at the London Derby in the Premier League. But we are reviewing the last day of the Six Nations. Now, let's hear from uh, the Ireland captain, Johnny Sexton, again, because this is what he had to say about Ireland's prospects over the next year as they get ready for the World Cup in France. Well, we've got great potential, don't we? Um, that's, that's what we have at the moment, but we've got to make a reality and we've got to keep building over the next whatever it is 18 months to to make sure that when yeah when it does come around but if you you know we we've taken a slightly different approach we've started talking about it already that that's the this is the journey uh, which is a different approach to the previous management that that I've worked under which is I think I think this is the right way to do it um and uh we're confident in the in the journey that we're on that's all we can but at the moment it's only an opportunity we need to to keep developing, you know, we had some young guys in during the week that were incredibly impressive. We've had some young guys in throughout the last year that have been incredibly impressive, and they, we need to bring them up to speed and make sure that they're ready, you know, in 18 months' time. We'll get a, a few bolters, I think, and uh, guys that will make a huge difference, and that's that, that's what we need over the next 18 months. We need to make the squad stronger and, and better, and um, I'm sure that's what Andy will be doing and, and, you know, relying on the leadership group to do it too. Keane Tracy will be watching some of those potential bolters at Musgrave Park a bit later when Ireland try and seal another under-26 Nations title and a Grand Slam. Uh, But Keane, it is a different approach um, from a purely psychological point of view from Ireland. As mentioned by Johnny Sexton, when it came to the previous regime, they were parking the World Cup until pretty much the eve of it. It was about trying to keep a winning run going, winning in the Six Nations, beating New Zealand in the 2018 November Internationals, and then going to Japan on the back of a good run of form. While this time around, they're having the conversations two years out from a World Cup. This stretches back to last year, I think Johnny Sexton said for the first time that they were speaking about France in 2023. Yeah, and I wonder, like in the previous setup, like I, the World Cup is always there in the background. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't mentioned. I think it's just more of a sort of a, a, a public sort of front that they put on. And I, like, I, I'm all first to be honest. Um, it's 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 a different approach, like Johnny Sexton said, and it's probably indicative of the kind of more you don't want to say like it's not a relaxed because it's an international environment, but it's no harm. The World Cup is there, and you know it's it's not going away, and, and like it's a fine balance because you don't want to go down the route that sort of England and Eddie Jones have gone on and pretty much like just essentially like writing off a Six Nations and Ireland certainly didn't do that this year and you would never want to see an Irish team sort of devaluing the Six Nations in in the way that England pretty well certainly that Eddie Jones has had in his media dealing so there is a fine balance Uh, I think they are building well and I think Johnny Sexton is right when he talks about there will be a couple of bolters like the, the players came onto the pitch at the end of the game, obviously yesterday, and the, the wider squad were there as well. And I was just looking down at the caliber of players who were in the, the Ireland Six Nations squad this year who didn't get a single minute of game time is amazing, really, when you look at it. Like guys like Robert Balakoon, Gavin Coombs, Nick Timoney, they didn't get any game time at all, and they've been training like hard over the last few weeks as well. So Andy Farrell has a job in his hand, I think, to get the right balance between keeping these guys who. You would imagine those three guys, particularly Robert Balakoon and Gavin Coombs, 
if the World Cup was like it, it, when the World Cup comes around, they're two guys who could well be in the starting team. So I think he'll be mindful of trying to get them game time in the summer in New Zealand as well, because you don't want to have players kind of getting you know disillusioned with the setup as well, because they haven't been rewarded for the hard work they're putting in behind the scenes and also with their provinces. Because the guys that I mentioned, three guys that I mentioned, just off the top of my head, have played really well this season. Shane, is that the challenge now for the coaching team over the next 18 months or so is to try and uh, create that competition within the squad while also trying to keep these key players you know, as fit and ready as they possibly can be for France? It's a bit of a balancing act over the next while. It is, and uh, but we've seen that large squads can work. If you look at the Leinster platform, you, know, you can have three, four deep in certain positions if the talent is there and... and the talent certainly is there. Like we've got an amazing twenties team about to hopefully go out and win the Grand Slam for us today. And these guys will be featuring. There'll be a handful of them featuring into this World Cup squad when it does come around to 2023. And you know, it, it's Ireland obviously has it traditionally has had a different setup. We're, we're a small rugby playing nation. We have to concentrate on getting success in the Six Nations. So that's been the way it's been thought of. But this new way of thinking that Johnny Sexton talked about there that Farrell is bringing in is a good thing. It can only be a good thing. We've no doubt about it that we've ticked so many boxes in the rugby world, and, but the World Cup is, is an issue. We've never got it right. We've gone into it, you know, almost favourites a couple of times and, uh, and it just hasn't worked at all. And uh, we've got to get over that quarterfinal hoodoo. And it's just, it's all about preparation into it Keenan's dead right like sacrificing Six Nations is not the way to go or using that as an excuse uh, you can you can still be very competitive while keeping an eye on getting your squad prepared for the amazing tournaments lucky enough to be involved in two World Cups and they are absolutely amazing tournaments and amazing events but there is just something that Ireland have to keep in the background and it's good that it's been mentioned now because you need a very very deep very fit squad running into a successful World Cup campaign Well Eddie Jones is mentioned by Keane this is what Eddie Jones had to say France securing the championship in quite some style really good first half performance in Paris last night dipped off a bit in the second half where England got back into it but ultimately France getting the job done winning by 25 points to 13 been a very middling campaign for England uh, but Eddie Jones was asked about his own future a year and a half out from the World Cup after the game uh, Well it's a different group of players mate um, so the mess- it's a different message and uh, am I pleased with, with the job I'm doing? I'm not pleased with the results. Do I think I'm coaching well? 100%. I think I'm coaching well and sometimes you don't get the results. Look, I've coached for long enough to know that this is all part of rebuilding a team and rebuilding a team at the international level is, is, is a complex and intriguing project, uh, particularly when you're coaching a team like England where the expectation is so high, high, you don't get any latitude when you're bringing young players through who tend to be more inconsistent as they learn their craft at the international level. But I couldn't be more excited about the prospects for this team. Sure. Have you spoken to Bill Sweeney since last night and do you plan to meet him this week at all? Well, that, that's not my concern, Duncan. My concern is to coach, coach the team really well. And the only thing I'm worried about now is preparing for Australia. Okay, and is there enough time between now and the World Cup to get the team in the kind of shape that you want it? 100%, mate, 100%. You know, I think we've got 11 tests uh, before the World Cup. And, and you know, if you look at that, that means Freddie and, and guys like Marcus and, 
and uh, Harry Randall are going to increase their, their test experience by 100% in that period. So there's a great learning experience for them. Yeah, the timing for our team going to the World Cup, I think, is very good. Very good. Shane, the timing, very good ahead of the World Cup, according to Teddy Jones. Nothing to worry about. 18 months, 11 tests. They'll be ready in time for France. Is there a concern, though, if you were an England fan based on, you know, the bluntness and the lack of variety in their attack during the Six Nations? Surely that's not an easy thing to fix. No, it has been shocking. It's been really notable that um, they just seem to, whenever they don't have the big, beefy, go-forward players, and, you know, the obvious ones that we talk about, that they just seem to not be able to generate a game plan around that. And it is it is a bit of a worry for them. But look, they have an enormous player pool. And uh, he's gone through a huge amount of players in his squad. He really does bring guys in, takes them out of the squad so often... And the odd thing with Eddie Jones is that he seems to just walk away from players like beating for the pole lads, these guys that he just seems to be done with players and moves on. And I suppose he has that luxury with, with as I say, with the player numbers, but you still got to hand it to him. You know, final of a World Cup, he, the preparation was pretty similar the last time. You know, it's not nice for them at the moment, but you look, I'm sure he, he's a wily guy, you know, and uh, he he'll have them in as good a shape as this that squad of players can be. Keen, if you're the RFU and you're Bill Sweeney at the moment, do you just trust in the Eddie process right now? I think it's a tough one. I think like, England are different to everyone else in that Shane is right, like the, the player pool that they're picking from and like, God, if the clip you played there, well, you wouldn't really know it. It was almost like Eddie Jones was playing the poor mouth that they didn't really have enough players and like, that's why it, it, it's so different. You look at, I suppose, like, what the Springboks did at the last World Cup with Rassi leaving Munster so late in the four-year World Cup cycling coming in and literally changing their fortunes, I think that would give the RFU like some sort of food for thought. I think if you're talking about like if Ireland had flunked at the Six Nations, I don't think there really would it would have to have been an utter disaster for anyone to even consider Andy Farrell losing his job. But I think it's a little bit different when you're England and like Eddie Jones. The expectations are huge, but they're huge for for right reason. Like we touched on the the player pool that they have to choose from and also Shane touched on the fact that Eddie Jones has this sort of tendency to bring players in and discard them but you could say the same about his coaching staff and he's brought in Martin Gleeson now from Rugby League to kind of oversee the attack and you have Marcus Smith one of the most exciting tens in world rugby right now and didn't really get to see the, the best of Marcus Smith throughout the Six Nations when you consider the performances that he's stringing in for Harlequins week in week out and I think it's interesting getting an attack coach from Rugby League. We've seen coaches like Andy Farrell and Sean Edwards come across to, to Union and be a huge success, but their sort of expertise when they come over to Union lies in the defensive side of things. So, I don't know. I think England's attack looks so muddled. Like we, talk, we spoke about it earlier, Will, in that you can see a clear identity within this Ireland team and the attacking framework that they're trying to play. And yes, it's, it hasn't always been perfect and it won't always be perfect because it's, it's a higher risk game than what these players have been playing with Ireland over the last few years. But that's why it's worth sticking with. So I think the RFU will definitely be sitting down over the next couple of weeks and kind of assessing all options. Is there a ready-made replacement to come in? I'm not sure. Like Razzy Rasmus, you know, jumped at the opportunity to leave Munster and go back to lead his home country. But I don't know if there's anyone in the English system who'd want to come in a year out from the World Cup and, and try and do it because it'd be an incredibly tough task despite the, the strength that they have. It'd be a 
tough task to, to, to do what Rassi Rasmus did in a year and basically come in and win a World Cup, which is ultimately what England are going to be aiming for in 18 months' time. Shane, when it comes to the new Grand Slam winners, no, go on, Shane, go on. Stop you there. Just very quickly, uh, on my Sky Sports app, RFU continues to fully support Eddie Jones. So there you go. <laughs> Just on the vote. <laughs> they traded vote of confidence. Like there you go. There you go. They, they knew the vote of confidence had to come in with the conversation we were having at the moment. When it comes to the champions, uh, Shane, this France team really couldn't have done a whole lot more uh, when it came to the competition itself. Okay, they had to kind of eke out results against Ireland and away from home against Wales. But when this France team are good, like they were in the first half yesterday, they look like they could potentially be the best team in the world. Uh, you can't help smiling watching them. Well, obviously, not when they're playing against Ireland, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's they really do play the beautiful game uh, when they when they're in full flow. They, yeah, I suppose it's probably a sign of the, uh, a good championship winning team that they were able to knuckle down when when it, when it didn't all go their way that they were able to win ugly as well when necessary, and uh, they didn't play every game brilliantly, but you know. They they were fabulous when they were in full flow, and um, Ireland probably challenged them more than most and got back into the game regardless of what France were doing. But most of the sides, when France got ahead, there was just no way you were going to catch them. And any cr- chink in your armour, they found. And uh, led by the amazing Dupont, he's just a player on fire at the moment. And uh, as he showed with the vital try yesterday as well, like you know. That's the way a team just has to go. They've amazing balance throughout the back row in the in their their centre field. Every part of their game just is functioning perfectly. You know, when as you're saying, you said it earlier on, like flowing into a World Cup next year, yeah, they're they're gonna be pretty high up in the in the betting ranks, wouldn't they? Yeah, no, without doubt, especially after beating New Zealand last year as well. Keen mm. The romantic story, which happened early in the day, they got a bit overshadowed by the title race afterwards, but what a remarkable result for Italy. We were talking about this a few weeks ago in the pay-per-view. They were about to take their 100 defeat when they lost to Ireland in Dublin. But a 36-game streak of defeats has now been broken. First win in seven years. And albeit it was a Wales team who've been very dysfunctional during the tournament, that is a victory to savour for the Italians at a time when so many have been writing their obituaries in this tournament and almost calling for Georgia or South Africa to replace them. Oh, it was absolutely magic. Like, I mean, when you you, you kind of the neutral in you, like it, that, that's why you watch sport, isn't it? For for moments like that, it was incredible. We were watching it in the press room um, yesterday before the match, and the roar that went up when he scored, and it was actually really nice because um, Ian McKinley was in the press room as well, and obviously a Dublin lad who, who obviously went on to play with Italy uh, so successfully, and he was in there as well. And just to see the emotion in a guy like that who's been on the end of some tough defeats when he was involved in the setup as well and it was just magic like I said it was the beauty of sport and like you said Wales have been dysfunctional but they're bloody tough to beat at the Principality Stadium generally speaking so that was no easy task and you know what the win was incredible but I thought it was the way they went about the win it wasn't it wasn't a fluke by any means at all they weren't like it wasn't like Wales had an early red card and that try to, to win the game, I mean, we spoke about Stuart Hogg not giving the pass in the Ireland game, but you see Caputo, the, the Italian fullback, who looks amazing, by the way, um, gives the pass because it's a smart thing to do. And then Italy scored a try under the post, which was so important as well. So to have that sort of wherewithal in what was by far the biggest moment of his career was incredible. And I suppose the thing for Italy now is it would have been brilliant if they had a match next week to kind of see how they went and back it up but they'll they'll probably enjoy the celebrations but we can't be waiting so long for their next victory if you know what I mean because 
the Six Nations would be so much a better product if you weren't going into, if there was a bit of jeopardy when teams were playing Italy because for the last few years, it's been a case of how many points you're going to score against them and, you know, trying to improve your points difference if that's going to, if that's what the title is going to come down to. So it was an incredible, incredible moment and an incredible try and an incredible performance, like I said, that was fully, fully justified to get that monkey off their back and hopefully they can kick on now with the next year's Six Nations. Yeah, gentlemen, good to catch up with both of you. Thanks a million, lads. No worries, Cheers, take care. All right, we're heading towards the uh, news headlines which are coming up at 4pm. Let's just bring you up to speed on what's been happening elsewhere. Leicester have beaten Brentford uh, by two goals to one in the Premier League. Uh, meanwhile, Crystal Palace against Everton. Crystal Palace winning 4-1 in the FA Cup quarterfinals. Peterborough, three one winners against QPR. And Manchester City against Southampton. Uh, we can go across for a half-time report on this one because it's level at the break between Southampton and Man City. Southampton 1, Manchester City 1, Southampton scoring just before the break with the last kick of the game before half-time. Andre Laporte with an own goal after El Yanusi's cross into the penalty area, deflected off the City defender and into the back of the net. City had taken the lead through Raheem Sterling when he scored at the other end, aided by a slip from Jack Stevens. It could have been more. Jesus blasted over the bar. Gundogan has hit the post from close range and Rodri fired inches wide. Southampton had threatened at the other end. Romeo smashed an effort straight into the arms of Stefan. They looked to be going in behind at the break until that own goal right on the stroke of half-time. It's Southampton 1, Manchester City 1. Alan Lewis there reporting from St Mary's uh, goal piece at the break there. Meanwhile in the Gaelic Games uh, this afternoon uh, we'll get a report from Ashton in the next hour. Kerry have beaten Armagh by 113 to 13 points so the Kingdom are going through to the final in Division 1. The Games have finished in Division 2 down, have beaten Cork by a single point 117 to 116 which is a huge boost for the Mormon in their bid to try and stay in Division 2 for next year. Uh, it finished Galway 4 goals and 11 points, Derry 12 points so Galway are on course now for promotion but Roscommon are fighting it out with them. They beat Offaly in Tullamore by two goals and 18 points to 14 points. Uh, while Clare against Meath, it was a one-point win for Meath against Clare. So Meath are going to be staying up for next season. Uh, so much on the Cork against Offaly game next week. Uh, in Division 3, Longford winning, or Longford, sorry, losing out to Wicklow at Pierce Park. Wicklow 20 points. Uh, Longford two goals and 13. Wicklow winning by a point. It finished Louth one goal and 12. Antrim one goal and 8. So Louth still in the fight for promotion. And it was a draw between Westmeath and Fermanagh. Westmeath one goal and 9 points. For mana, 12 points. We'll take a very short break. We'll round up the rest of the results and look forward to our live game between Spurs and West Ham when we come back after these.